Did you hear about the guy that got a phone call from his wife while he was on his way home from work? She had just heard on the radio that someone was driving the wrong way on the highway, the very highway that this man would be driving on to get home. She called him and said, honey, there's a lunatic driving the wrong way on your route home. And he said, oh, I know it. In fact, there's not just one lunatic, they're all driving the wrong way. And then the light bulb went on and he realized he was the one going the wrong way. In this passage from Philippians 3, we see that Paul has realized that he had been going the wrong way. And just like anyone who realizes that, he made the very intelligent decision to turn around. Paul was going the wrong way, had been going the wrong way, and saw that people in Philippi were going the wrong way by putting their confidence in their culture, putting their confidence in their own character. And Paul said that the right way is to put your confidence in Christ. Let's first look at putting our confidence in our culture and how that is not a good thing to do. People in Paul's day heard the gospel through their own grid, through their own understanding, through their own assumptions. And people who were longtime Jewish believers assumed that if you are going to serve God, you need to be circumcised. And so they were telling the Philippians, you need to be circumcised. And Paul said, no, because what circumcision accomplished has been accomplished in Jesus Christ. There is no more need for it. They had missed the point that in Christ, their full salvation, their full acceptance by God was, had been achieved. And Paul is not, he is not reserved in his criticism of them. He says, um, watch out for those dogs. Now, we lost our dog this week, and I might take offense at Paul in saying this. We're using dogs as a derogatory term, but we have to understand that um, in that era, dogs were not beloved like our, ours was, but they were despised. The dogs were allowed to roam, and they were vicious and, uh, and unclean, and, and dogs were not uh, appreciated as they are now. And the Jewish people called the Gentiles dogs, in, in a sense, because they were saying that the Gentiles didn't have a sense of God, didn't have a sense of the higher calling that is unique to humanity, and Gentiles were like animals in that. Well, Paul here is calling these people who were believers in Judaism, but also in Christ, dogs. Because what he's saying is, if you don't have the right foundation, if you don't have the right foundation of faith in Christ, what you're believing in does not get you to a strong, a real relationship with God. So you're missing out on that, that thing that makes human, humanity unique in, the, in that we are able to relate to God in a conscious way. He goes on to say they are evildoers, mutilators of the flesh. Lots of words that are not very nice. But the, the, the truth that Paul has realized is very important. Like if you're driving the wrong way, it is very important that you realize that you're doing so. And 
it will take what you would take whatever means you needed to convince someone that they're going the wrong way. They're putting both themselves and others at risk by continuing in that path. Paul calls them evildoers. And we might say, well, is it really evil to get just a little part of the faith wrong? And he says, yes, because your faith is based on a foundation. And if that foundation is not Jesus Christ, if that foundation is anything within yourself, it's wrong. You cannot build on it and build a life that pleases God because only the foundation of what Jesus Christ has already accomplished in pleasing God on our behalf is the solid foundation that will, that will stand the tests of time with our faith. And today, I'm afraid that there are people who are having at least part of their faith on a wrong foundation. And there, there are a number of, uh, of ways this is true. Of course, we, we talk about the health and wealth gospel, that God wants you to be happy and wealthy, and that's the whole point of Christian faith. Well, clearly, that is not a scriptural idea. But there's also another idea that is a carryover from um, the, the decades through which many of us lived, and that is the idea of Christendom. Now, Christendom is different from Christianity in that Christendom is um, an influence of Christianity on a culture so that the culture looks Christian. There are prayers before sporting events. There are um, carryovers of, of assumed Christianity throughout the whole culture. And we still live with uh, degrees of Christendom in our culture. But Christendom is not Christianity. Christianity is, is a faith in what Jesus Christ has done. So people trying to restore Christendom are, are making the mistake of thinking that if we look Christian, we are Christian. And that's uh, to a degree what Paul is, is addressing here. Don't look at the trappings. Look at the truth. And the truth is in the individual heart and in the fruit there that comes from the faith that is within us. Jesus said, you will know them by their fruit. And uh, to assume that, that people are Christian because they're in a Christian culture is not a good assumption because that culture may not in any way have changed their hearts. Billy Graham used to say, being, um, if, being in a garage, there it is, being in a garage doesn't make you a car just like being in the church or being in a Christian culture doesn't make you a Christian. It is important that we understand what truly being a Christian is. Episcopal Bishop of Atlanta, Robert C. Wright, says it this way, we look around and see that our influence in culture is waning, but he says Christianity is not dying. The illusion of cultural Christianity is and he goes on to say, good riddance. Not because it wasn't easy to live under those assumptions, but because those assumptions don't get people to a real faith in Jesus Christ. And to live outside of Christendom as the church means that we have to truly live as believers, and that will mean some degree of sacrifice. That will mean some degree of alienation from the culture. But that is what God's people have had to do throughout 
history. Paul goes on to call these folks mutilators of the flesh. Um, circumcision was, was well established. It was, it was God established. It was a mark of the people uh, who were following after God, the people of God, the chosen ones. So why is Paul so offended by it? It's almost like someone uh, would say, well, the Lord's Supper, communion, that's, that's terrible. Stop doing that. That's just, that's just cannibalism. Well, that would be highly offensive, would it not? But consider if we are in glory, when the new heaven and the new earth have been established and people still go to a meal that remembers what Jesus did, hoping that he will return after he has returned, it's, it wouldn't make any sense and it would be very appropriate to say, we don't need to do that anymore. And that is what Paul is saying here to the Philippian church. You do not need to do that anymore. And you're not only doing it unnecessarily and mutilating the body unnecessarily, but you're mutilating people's faith because you're getting their faith off of the accomplished work of Jesus Christ and onto something that they have done or something done to them. So the next thing we look at, um, firstly, not putting our confidence in our culture. The second thing is, do not put your confidence in your character, in who you are, in what you've done. Now, Paul says, if anyone has reason for such confidence, it's me. <laughs> I was circumcised on the eighth day. That's the day you're supposed to be circumcised. That's the day that shows you truly are a person in God's chosen people doing things the right way. And he goes on to say, of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin. Now, I tried to figure out why Benjamin was important, and I think it's mostly just because Paul wanted to say, Here's my here are my credentials. I belong here. And that's proof that I belong to the larger people of God. But if you want to find any um, significance in the tribe of Benjamin, uh, for those of you who are left-handers, many within the tribe of J Benjamin were left-handed. And that made them particularly proficient in battle because of the surprise factor. So um, they were well-known warriors. But the thing I like most about the tribe of Benjamin is that God, when he's blessing the various tribes, when the various tribes are being blessed, says, Benjamin, I hold between my shoulders. In other words, on my chest. There's great love for the tribe of Benjamin. But again, the real point here is that Paul is saying, I belong and this is how I belong. I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. I have the pedigree. And not only that, but I'm a Pharisee in regard to the law. Is the law the measure? If the law is the measure of our acceptance before God, I'm of the group that takes the law most seriously. I fit better than most of the rest of them. In fact, he says, with regard to the law, I'm flawless. Well, that's a pretty strong statement, but his point is that with regard to the ways that people were trying to please God, he did it well. Now, by every measure that makes Paul in 
I am out. I am not, I do not have a pedigree like he did, and I do not obey the law even as he did. But thank God, Paul recognized that all those things are garbage, he says here. And the word in the Greek pastors love to talk about because it really means dung or synonyms thereof. Paul is saying this stuff is nothing. It is worthless. It is useless. It is something you want to get far away from yourself or get yourself far away from. Fred Craddock, a great preacher, tells the story of a, of a Chinese a missionary family who was in China, serving in China, when the communist regime took over and they were told they had to leave and had, were given two hours to figure out what they were allowed, to, what they were going to take. And they were given an allotment of 200 pounds of stuff that they were allowed to take with them. Well, they argued over maybe a new typewriter, they argued over uh, an heirloom vase or whatever it was in their home uh, and, and carefully put things on the bathroom scales, carefully discerned what they thought were the most, <coughs> excuse me, most valuable 200 pounds they had. And when the Officers came to escort them out of the country. They said, do you have your 200 pounds? And they said, yes, here it is. And they said, well, did you weigh your children? And all of that stuff, all of that stuff they, decide, they had decided was the most important stuff became nothing to them because they knew that their children were far, far, a far, far greater value. Now, many of us have the problem, not that Paul had, of being very confident in how well he uh, had um, served God, how well he uh, had obeyed. We have the problem of thinking, I'm not good enough. There's no way that I can earn God's favor. A.W. Tozer wrote this, self-derogation is bad, for the reason that self must be there to derogate. Self, whether swaggering or groveling, can never be anything but hateful to God. Boasting is an evidence that we are pleased with self. Belittling is evidence that we are disappointed with self. Either way, we reveal that we have a high opinion of ourselves. Not necessarily that we think we're all that great, but we have a high opinion of our ability or our supposed ability to earn God's favor. If we think we're good enough, we're lying to ourselves. If we think we're not good enough but should be, we're lying to ourselves. And when he says um, that you can't be either of these and not hate God, what he's saying is um, not that you know that you hate God, but if you put yourself as the measure of your value before God, you are being hateful toward what God has done for you in accepting you as one of his own. Make God and God's grace your focus, not yourself. And I've said many times before, those people who uh, view their own holiness or lack thereof as the measure by which they earn God's favor can be and usually are very nasty, judgmental, cruel people. 
They think that they have sacrificed so much to earn God's favor and, and other people don't. So other people deserve their condemnation. Other people deserve their disdain. But if you acknowledge that everything you have that guides you into fellowship with God, God has provided, there is no more room for pride and there is no more room for self-loathing because it's not about you. It's about what God has done. And when you know that, you know that you have received grace upon grace. And the only way then to interact with others is to respond with grace upon grace. Be careful if you ever find yourselves grumpy because of what you've sacrificed in order to serve God. If you're doing that, you're getting it wrong. You're going the wrong way. And the way that is the right way is to put your confidence in Christ. Paul did not think that he lost anything when he threw out the garbage of his good works. Because he had gained so much. He was freed from his failures. As you are freed from your failures when you receive the grace of God in Christ. He was freed from his, his successes because he was embraced by God, not because of them. And the tenuous nature of the, the idea that as much success as you've had, you could still fail, was wiped away. Because he was embraced by God, because of what Christ has done. It is vital as believers that we focus not on what we have done or should do, but on what God has done. But did this realization make Paul less zealous? Did this realization make Paul less committed to serving God? No, it made him more so. This is not um, God has done everything, so therefore be passive. This is God has done everything, so therefore you can have great confidence in serving God. It's the difference between trying to make the team and doing all the work to, to get onto the team and then being on the team, knowing that you belong, that you fit, that your teammates are there with you and supportive of you, that you are together. And that is what, um, that is what God has done for us in Christ. We are now on the team. We no longer have to, to strive and, and work to gain access into God's good graces, but we are, we are submerged in God's good graces. And that should motivate us as it motivated Paul, knowing that there is no more fear or guilt or pride, but awareness of our complete acceptance. And that made Paul forgetful of pain or trial or struggle, forgetful of um, the fact that he was doing something difficult in serving God, he was willing to suffer, to suffer with Christ because he knew that what he had in Christ was so glorious, so wondrous, that it carried him through whatever the circumstances were into which God called him. And he acknowledged he's not fully there. We're not fully there. We are fully accepted. We are fully loved. We are fully um, and grafted into God's family. 
but we do not yet experience all the glory that will be ours when Christ's kingdom comes in its fullness. But now, in the meantime, we are called to live such good lives among the pagans, as Peter said, that they will see God's glory in us, that we are called to live in such deep fellowship with God, such deep confidence in what God has done in us and what God can do, has done for other people, that that is our motivation, that the motivation of the Christian heart is not to please God now because in Christ we already do, but to look forward to the glorious kingdom of God in which all things will be made right, the, the kingdom of God uh, for which Jesus gave his life so that we can enter it and others can enter it. Uh, we should be so motivated by that that we live in glad submission, in glad fellowship with God and with the goal of helping others to discover this great joy of knowing God through Jesus Christ.